Well, good morning. Today we are uh, concluding the sermon series we kicked off uh, several weeks back, uh, looking at the questions that Jesus asked. Uh, the, the, the Gospels are, are packed full of questions that Jesus asked, but we've just focused on eight of them. And um, I'm going to begin today with uh, some questions of, of you, and we're going to play do an exercise called Just Suppose. So just suppose that somebody asked you, what does God require of a person in relationship to God? Uh, you might come up with the answer from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Uh, and you'd be right. Uh, just suppose that that person then went on to ask you another question. What does God require of, of us in relationship to other people, the people around us? You might then answer our responsibility is to love others as Jesus has loved us. And you would be correct. Uh, the New Testament would agree with that. The Apostle Paul writes about how uh, through love we fulfill the law and the fruit of the Spirit is love. And when he writes to his church in Rome, he tells them not to owe anything to anyone except the obligation of loving each other. Just suppose that this person then asked a couple more questions. This time they're a little less sort of Sunday school type answers and questions, but this time a little bit more personal, a little more private. Just suppose they asked you, do you love God? You'd probably respond, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I I love God. Not perfectly, of course, my life doesn't always match up, Uh, don't always obey, but yes, I, I, I love God and It'd be little to prove you wrong because our love for God is, is of course, personal. And truly only God himself and ourselves really know the depth of that love. And then finally, just suppose this person were to ask you, do you love, do you love your neighbor? Now, this might be a little bit harder uh, to answer. Uh, you might say, well, that depends. Uh, it depends on the circumstance and the situation and who you're talking about, my family, the people on my block, uh, you know, co-workers, people in different parts of Salina, uh, people around the world. You're, you know, we might kind of qualify our answer a little bit there because, you know, we'd want to know who, who is our neighbor. What do you mean by our neighbor? Well, today uh, we're going to be looking at uh, a passage that gets to the heart of this question. uh, Who is your neighbor? Uh, And we're looking at the passage that was just read by Elena Clare, Luke chapter 10. And we have a a conversation between uh, two two men. There's Jesus and there's uh, sort of a theological lawyer. He's an expert in the in the law. Uh, And they ask each other uh, questions. And, and we see pretty quickly that this, this expert in the law, this theological lawyer, he comes to Jesus. Uh, he's not really come to Jesus in, in good faith. Um, we, we can kind of imagine him that he's kind of prepared in advance, you know, like a, a good lawyer does for maybe a courtroom uh, when, they, when they depose somebody or they, they, they question a witness or an expert of some kind. Uh, so he comes in with a script in his mind. I'm going to ask Jesus this question. He's going to respond this way. I will then spring the trap and I will prove myself uh, to be sharper than Jesus theologically. I'm going to catch him in, in his kind of his own, his own uh, teaching, his own words. Uh, and so he begins with one of the greatest questions. He's thinking this is the perfect question to ask. He says, teacher, what should I do? What must we do to inherit eternal life? Now, now, Jesus doesn't say to him, and he could have, well, the nature of an inheritance is that you don't do anything for it. Um, somebody gives it to you. They die, 
and all you have to do is to then receive it. Jesus doesn't say that. But Jesus turns the tables and asks him a question. Well, you, you know the law. You're an expert in the law. What do you think it teaches about this question of yours? Uh, this throws the guy off uh, because the question Jesus asks him is really more of an entry-level theological question. I mean, any, any uh, good Jewish boy growing up would have known the answer to this question. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Your neighbor is yourself. Jesus says that's a great answer. Uh, that's a good answer. Go and, and do that, and, and you'll live. And, and this theological lawyer, he realizes that this is not going the way that he wanted to, so he, he tries a different tactic. He, he, um, he then asks uh, another question, uh, seeking to justify himself, to kind of prove his theological and debating chops. He says, well, who is my neighbor exactly? Um, he wants a definition of terms. Well, we might think, oh, come on. But well, we, can, we can sympathize and empathize with that, can't we? Because how often does that happen to you? You're reading the Bible. Or you hear a sermon or you're doing a study in a group and you come to a passage of scripture that you come face to face with it. It's a clear requirement of scripture. Do this. Don't do that. Believe this. Reject that. Whatever. Things like that. But but instead of obeying it, we 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 kind of slice and dice it and. well, yeah, but in this, what about this circumstance? What about with these people? You know, it can't always mean this, can it? And, and we begin to have this discussion. And if we, you know, work at this long enough, maybe we can bend the Scripture to fit our lives instead of fitting our lives to, to Scripture. So in that spirit, the lawyer asks, who's my neighbor? Now, Jesus, when he answers the question, doesn't go into this long theological Discourse. He doesn't say, well, there's several words for love in the Greek. He doesn't do that. He just tells a simple story. Uh, probably the most well-known story that Jesus taught, the story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, just about anybody knows what it means to be a Good Samaritan. They may not be able to quote, even trace it back to Jesus' words or where it is in the Bible, but they know what it is to be a Good Samaritan. So Jesus tells this story, and because we've heard it so many times, sometimes we just kind of overlook it, and well, that's a nice story, a good moral story, but when this man would have first heard this story, it was like this, this booby trap, you know? It, it sprung on him, and exposed him, it challenged him, it convicted him. And I think if we come to it open and, and, and with fresh eyes, it's going to do the same uh, thing for us. So here's the story. Jesus said there was this guy traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's traveling along. He gets mugged. He gets beaten up. He gets robbed. He's left for dead by the side of the road. Uh, And then uh, a priest comes along. And then a Levite comes along, both of them separately. They see the guy. They see his need, but they keep on moving. And then uh, thirdly, a Samaritan stops and he lends a hand. And at the end of the story, Jesus says, ask this theological lawyer, of these three, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, who was the neighbor? And the theological lawyer says, the one who showed mercy on him. Jesus says, go and keep on doing likewise. Who is my neighbor? Jesus gives us the answer through his, his story. Uh, but it's important to see what Jesus is doing here. He's taking this guy who wants to quibble and debate and what is my neighbor? What's my obligations? I mean, sure, you don't mean in all these circumstances, not them, not her, you know. And Jesus kind of takes it from this theological, theoretical debate and discussion. Uh, 
And he makes it very practical, very personal, puts the rubber to the road. He says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives them the answer through their story. And for us to get the answer, I think it's important for us to get the right point of view. Hermit Thielicke, a German theologian, said that in studying the stories of Jesus, the viewpoint is, is everything. And to illustrate what he meant, he told of a time when his, his son was a baby and he held his son up to a mirror for the first time. And, and the baby moved and the reflection in the mirror moved. And then the baby kind of waved his hand and then the reflection in the mirror waved his hand. And then it dawned on the baby, hey, that's me. And his face lit up in a, in a smile. Every so often, when we pick up the scripture and hold it up to our lives, that's what happens. You're reading along, you're hearing a sermon, uh, listening to something on the radio, it's, you, know, you read it, it's, it's, it's just print on a white page, stories from a long time ago. But when you hold it up to your life, you see a reflection of, of yourself. You recognize yourself. You recognize what's going on in the world. So let's take a look at different points of view in this story. The first point of view is the viewpoint of the man who's been beaten up and mugged and left for dead. Now, I can imagine if you went up to him and said, hey, uh, excuse me, sir, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but we're trying to get to come up with the answer to who is my neighbor? Um, can you help us with this? From your perspective down here, who would you say is your neighbor? And the man, if he was conscious and able he would probably say something like, well, just about anybody who comes down that road and is willing to help me out. That's my neighbor. Which is how we would answer the question if we were the guy, right? If we're you know, driving through an unfamiliar city, we take a wrong turn, it's late at night, dimly lit street, we don't feel good about the neighborhood, the car breaks down, we don't know how to fix it, cell phone service isn't good. We're not feeling real great about ourselves, our situation. But then somebody comes along. Um, you're not sure you like the looks of them, but they're willing to stop and help you. And if they do, you'd say, that guy's being a neighbor. But maybe if the shoe was on the other foot, and you're driving along and you see somebody broken down, you're not sure you like the looks of them, and it's a, late at night and you're, you're going somewhere, you're tired, you, you're not really mechanical anyway, you might be able to kind of talk yourself into thinking, well, he's, he's not my neighbor. Let's take a look now at the perspective of, of the priest and the Levite. Now, these two guys are the primary um, candidates for being the heroes of the story. I mean, they're religious guys. Uh, they know the law. They know the obligations. I mean, they're known for doing good stuff. I mean, that's their job. And uh, so if this poor guy laying by the side of the road would see them coming, he must have thought, my prayers are answered. There's a priest. He'll stop. Keeps moving. Oh, it's a, it's, it's a Levite, a scribe. Surely he'll stop. Keeps on moving. I mean, it's hard for us to think about this. You know, a priest walking on the road sees this guy clearly in distress, maybe even dying. Uh, how could that happen? How could one person see another person in such desperate need and do absolutely nothing to help them. Well, I'm guessing because the priest, he was a religious guy, that he had religious reasons for not doing this. His thinking might have been, well, back in the Old Testament law, I mean, if you touch a dead person, you're ceremonially uh, unclean, you're defiled. That means you've got to go through the temple, you've got to 
you got to do this, you got to do that, jump through the hoops, you got to make a sacrifice, all these things. And he's probably wondering, well, it'd be just my luck. I help the guy and he dies on me, you know, and then I got to go to the temple and pay the price for a sacrifice. And people will see me there and they wonder, I thought he was a good guy. What, is he, what did he do that he has to be cleansed? And that could hurt my reputation and my witness and my career. So um, I don't know if he thought that way, but I suspect that sometimes, whether he did or not, that sometimes we do. You know, uh, in, in Christian circles, in the Christian church, there's this, this doctrine of, of, of being set apart, of holiness. You know, we're set apart by God for his purposes. We're called to live a, a holy life, you know, which practically speaking means there are things that we should not do, cannot do, places we should not go and activities we should not engage in. Uh, true. But then we extrapolate that, this idea of, of being holy and set apart. We extrapolate that and we look around the world. There are people in our world who do those things and say those things and go to those places and engage in those activities. And then in the name of holiness, we make the step, the leap of, to make the leap that we need to withdraw from those people who are on the Jericho Road, who have deep, deep needs, who need our help. The next perspective point of view is from the Levite. And now, if the priest was like the, the pastor at the temple, say the senior pastor, uh, the Levite might have been like maybe an associate pastor. He took care of the scrolls oversaw that, kept the operation going, visited people, did ministry, did some teaching. And Jesus says, this guy's walking along, he sees the man, but he keeps moving along too. And we wonder what's going through you know, his head. Uh, maybe he thought, you know, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I, I've got a, a, a crowd of people, they're, they're here to hear me do a seminar on, on service and loving uh, the people around you. I can't be late. I don't want to let them down. I've got an obligation. Or maybe, maybe more likely, he was thinking, you know, I've got to go visit Mrs. Smith. She has been so faithfully involved in our synagogue, and uh, she's, towards the end of her life, I need to get there. She's a higher priority than this guy. I don't know this guy. Or, or Mr. Mr. Jones, I need to visit him. He just lost his spouse. He's really down, and he's really a big supporter of our synagogue, so I just got to keep moving. Too bad, but I, I just, they're a higher priority. I got I to do this, this kind of spiritual triage thing. I don't know what he was thinking that day, but I think sometimes we might think that way. The third man, third point of view on the road, was the Samaritan. Now, if the priest and Levite were at the top, the expected candidates to be the heroes, the Samaritan was at the bottom. It was way, way down at the bottom. Um, you know, I think if Jesus were teaching this parable today and he was in Jerusalem, he would probably say there was a man who was wounded by the side of the road. Uh, and then a Jewish rabbi came along and he kept walking. And then a Christian pastor came along and then he kept walking. And then a Palestinian walked along and he was the one who stopped. Who was the who was the neighbor that would have shocked this is the sort of shock that, the, that, the, that these people would have heard because felt because the Jews and the Samaritans, they, they had a long-running division and conflict and they, they, they hated each other. I mean, whenever a Jew talked about a Samaritan, he called him a, a dog. And so when the Samaritan comes down the road in Jesus' story, sees the wounded man, has compassion, helps him out, takes a risk, spends his time, spends his money, offers to pay for anything else that's needed, 
well, this was an unlikely turn of events. And so when Jesus finishes the story, he says, which of these three was the neighbor to this man? The two who knew the scriptures well, who knew the theology, the religious people, or the one who, the one who stopped to help? And the expert in the law says, I guess the one who showed mercy. Jesus says, go, keep on doing likewise. Who is my neighbor? He asked. The answer from Jesus is simple and profound and convicting. Your neighbor is anyone whose need you see and whose need you're in a position to meet. It's that, that simple, that challenging. Anyone whose need you see and whose need you're in a position to meet. That means that your neighbor may maybe somebody you don't know. Uh, you know, one of the marks of the, of the early church was their willingness to go to cultures and places to reach people they did not know to meet their needs, spiritually, physically, and otherwise. Your, your neighbor could be someone who's unfriendly, someone who rubs you the wrong way, who doesn't appreciate you. Your neighbor could have a lifestyle you don't approve of and whose whole way of approaching life really just rubs you the wrong way. You just don't get it. It doesn't make sense to you. I mean, helping your neighbor, meeting their needs might be unrewarding. I mean, there's no evidence that this, this man who was left for dead paid the Samaritan back. You know, it's pretty easy to help somebody when you know they're going to give you something back. Scratch my back, you scratch yours. But what about meeting the need of someone that you're pretty sure you're not getting anything back from them. Jesus says your neighbor is anyone whose need God has put you in a position to meet. And in this story, the Samaritan does that. He's involved, he lends a hand, he gives time, he gives resources. And the time might be the hardest challenge for us today, isn't it? I mean, I ask you, how's it going? Almost everybody says, busy, busy. Got so many priorities, so many commitments, so many obligations. I'm just really busy. And the Samaritan takes a risk. He gives up his time. He gives up his money. And he helps the Good Samaritan. Jesus says, that man, that man was a neighbor. Now, there's a little hook in this phrase, your neighbor is anyone whose need you see. All three of these men see a stranger who has been mugged. But they don't see the same thing, do they? One man, the priest, sees a man who could be a ceremonial defilement. It could cost him his reputation and cost some time and money. The scribe maybe saw him as a lower priority. I should help him. I could help him, but I have other people who demand my attention. They're more faithful. They mean more to me. They can do more for me. But the Samaritan sees this man as his neighbor. Which tells us that what I am determines what I see. So, for example, you're an art expert. I'm not. I appreciate art, but I'm far from an expert. So you want to take me to the museum to look at art. And we're walking around and you say, Doug, see that picture? See how the artist created this, this scene and the message he's, and how it makes you feel, isn't it? I'm like, oh, I, I, yeah, it's pretty, you know, I don't quite get that. The difference isn't what's hanging on the wall. The difference is 
the difference between an art aficionado and me. What we are determines what we see, right? The Bible says if, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you love God, when you look around the world, you will see pieces of art. You will see people created by the master artist. People created in his image, not inconveniences, not irritations, not people unworthy of your time and resources, not contaminants to be avoided. You'll see people whose need you're in a position to meet. It's that simple. And Jesus' question to us, who was the neighbor? It confronts us. It convicts us. It doesn't leave us any wiggle room. And this question really gets to the heart of, of the questions we began with. Do you love God? Do you love your neighbor? You know, it's easy for us to go on about how good God is, how much we love him. We've not seen him. We believe he's there, but we've not seen him. But then be blind to our neighbor whose needs are right in front of our faces. Do you love God? If you do, you will love your neighbor. And my neighbor is anyone whose need I see and whose need God has put me in a position to meet. And it's really that simple and that difficult. But we're called to do it.